This is a Federal News Network podcast. The U.S. Agency for International Development recently awarded two large academic grants to deal with food insecurity, a problem that's growing worse around the world. $36 million went to the University of California, Davis, and $25 million went to Tufts University. Here with what they hope to accomplish, the chief scientist in the Bureau for Resilience and Food Security at USAID, Rob Bertram. Mr. Bertram, good to have you on. Thanks very much, Tom. It's great to be here with you. Now, these are really big grants. I mean, even by federal standards, not many colleges get $36 million in a pop. So tell us what it is you hope that these two academic institutions will develop under these two grants. So this is part of a a larger program of what are called the Feed the Future Innovation Labs. Feed the Future, I'm going to start by just describing that for a minute, is the U.S. government's what we call whole of government global food security initiative. And this is basically seeking to reduce hunger and malnutrition and the extreme poverty that accompanies those in the countries in the world where these problems are deepest. And this especially takes us towards areas like Sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, and parts of Central America. So that's Feed the Future. And within that, we have science and technology and research as a key area of investment where we can leverage the tremendous capabilities of American agriculture, not just in research, really, in the private sector, in farmer organizations, producer groups, civil society organizations that are working to combat hunger and malnutrition. But in this case, these grants are about leveraging the best research capabilities we have working together with partners in these countries help solve problems by developing new solutions that reduce hunger and poverty and malnutrition and the solutions in these particular cases are you looking for logistics and distribution issues because that's can contribute to food insecurity or better agricultural methods or what area of the food problem are you looking to address here So there are 21 Feed the Future Innovation Labs, and you just referred to two of the newest ones. One of those, led by UC Davis, University of California Davis, is in horticulture. The one you mentioned at Tufts is around nutrition and food systems. So that gets to the point you were just raising. But basically, this is a broad portfolio, and each of these labs involves many partners, including other universities here in the United States. We have, I think, about 70 university partners altogether, but very importantly, collaborating researchers in universities and national research organizations in the countries where we work. So these are all about partnerships And one of the great things, Tom, here is that not only do we work together to develop innovative solutions, which can then go to scale and really drive impact on the ground and improvements, but we build capacity. We help these countries on their long-term journey where they are able to solve their own problems more effectively by developing their own agricultural and food systems and nutrition research capabilities. And just a question about the grant that went to UC Davis. You mentioned horticulture, and the press release mentions horticulture. I think of horticulture as relating to landscaping more than food, which I associate with agriculture more. So tell us how horticulture fits into the picture here. 
Well, I'm really glad you flagged that. Yes, as much as we think about horticulture in the way you just mentioned, beautiful flowers and shrubs and trees, it also implies, in this case, fruits and vegetables. This is part of our effort under a new updated global food security strategy that was put together across a whole group of U.S. government organizations with USAID in the lead, but many other partners like the Department of Agriculture and the State Department and others joining in. And there were extensive consultations done with all kinds of partners globally to develop that strategy. And one of the things that strategy emphasizes is improved diet quality to try to improve nutrition, particularly key nutrients in, and, and vitamins and minerals in the diets of really a poor and vulnerable people around the world where malnutrition is still rife. And horticulture is not only an important source of improved diet quality, as we all know, to eat our vegetables, right? It's also a great way for low-income farmers to be able to grow their incomes and their businesses to move them up out of poverty. One thing that's worth mentioning here is when we look at hunger and malnutrition and extreme poverty in the developing world, we find that it's concentrated in rural areas among low-income smallholder farm families. There's hundreds of millions of them around the globe. And ironically, this is where, even though they work in agriculture and produce food, they still sure. suffer from hunger and malnutrition. We're speaking with Rob Bertram. He's chief scientist in the Bureau for Resilience and Food Security at the USAID. And so just to clarify, these grants will develop systems and ways of distributing food, growing horticulturaling food that can be transplanted to those nations? That's right. The work actually takes place over there in our partner countries where we're working. And it could be, for example, reduced post-harvest losses. For example, fruits and vegetables, where those are very high. In the nutrition research work, it could be understanding the role of food production and the importance of women in production systems as farmers, as extension agents and as decision makers in improving the productivity, the incomes and the nutritional impacts from our work. And we have many other innovation labs as well. Uh, we just also announced another new lab with Pennsylvania State University on emerging and current threats to crops. So think about things like locusts and plant diseases and so this is another case where we are marshalling the tremendous capacity of our research institutions here in the United States. One other key point, Tom, is that this comes back to benefit U.S. producers, too. We get ahead of pests and diseases. We learn more about maybe extreme climatic conditions by working on these crops and livestock and poultry and fish all of these things that our researchers learn and they bring back benefits to producers here in the U.S., but ultimately to you and me, to consumers who benefit from a safer, more affordable and abundant food supply. Now, in the United States and other developed nations, agriculture has become pretty technologically intensive. 
between the engineered seeds and so forth that are used, GPS and micro-irrigation and all of these technologies that depend on broadband, fuel supplies, and a physical distribution network that's sophisticated. So do you envision those types of elements that are ancillary to the farm itself having to be available in those countries? For example, broadband to have a GPS-directed way of managing fields and forests and so forth. Yes, I think what you're getting at is what we call precision agriculture, where you're really using intensification of knowledge. It could be about the weather. It could be about the soil and the fertility of the soil. It could be about the seeds. It could be about market conditions that all support better decision making and actually getting more from less, using our resources more effectively and efficiently in ways that conserve them. So yes, the principles are similar, Tom. When we go into a context, say, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa, but the principles are the same, but the way we would get at them would be somewhat different. But we are seeing huge impacts from, say, cell phones, where a farmer now, she may know the price that's being offered in the capital city for what she's growing. And that makes her much more powerful in dealing with middlemen, you know, being able to have more of the income come on the farm. And also at the end of the day, increase market efficiency in ways that reduce losses, make food more abundant and available for low-income consumers in particular. So yes, the concepts are there. We leverage science We are working with tremendous partnerships around things like drought tolerance and heat tolerance in crops. And again, these are things that can come back and benefit American farmers as well. And finally, what are some of the timelines here? These are, again, I thought they looked like big grants, you know, 36, 25 and, you know, options for greater grants. And you'll have people stationed overseas under these grants. What are the timelines? What do you see as when deliverables could be delivered? Well, it's important, particularly in research, we need to bear in mind that these are long-term undertakings. It's not something that you do in a day. Research, you know, almost by nature, you don't quite know the answer. You can identify the problem, but then you have to develop the solution. So these are five-year grants. And that grant amount you mentioned, that would be over five years, and it would include both resources from our central Feed the Future budgets here in Washington, where we fund these programs that work across regions and globally, complemented by USAID missions in the field. In many, many countries, we have U.S. Agency for International Development missions that are partnering on the ground with local partners. And what they can do then is leverage the innovations that come from these research grants and help take them to scale. Often these programs are extended for a second five years or three years, whatever it happens to be, to get the job done. But that's based on the need for that, the performance of the partners. Are they achieving what they set out to achieve? So we have a real collaboration here. We stay engaged and our university partners that lead these Feed the Future Innovation Labs, these 70 universities, including a diverse set of universities here in the United States, Tom. We have historically black colleges and universities that are partners. We leverage other minority serving institutions as well. 
And the idea then is those researchers are working with their partners overseas and it'll we st stick with it to get the job done. So it could be in five years, it could be longer based on both performance and need and impact ultimately. Often in that second five years, we get more impact on the ground because those technologies and better resource management practices around soil and water and innovative policies can be adopted and applied on the ground. So the next Norman Borlaug could be a woman in South Saharan Africa. I hope it will be. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of great candidates out there. It's so inspiring to see the ownership and the leadership. You know, that's another really important thing about our work. This isn't about us going out and giving anybody anything. It's not even about teaching people to do things. It's about working together with them in the lead. And in many cases, Tom, it's our partner countries. They are co-funding this. They want this. And frankly, it's important that they want it because that means it's going to be sustainable. You know, our partner countries have to believe in this work too. It's kind of a, a shift from the way people thought about foreign assistance or maybe like food aid. A lot of people think of food aid, which remains very important as a tool. But that's very different from this long-term but really impactful development that began with Norman Borlaug, but continues today, including through many women in sub-Saharan Africa. All right. Rob Bertram is chief scientist in the Bureau for Resilience and Food Security at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Thanks so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure, Tom. Thanks so much. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And 
you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. 
uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <laughs> um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gain the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening, to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.